Arthur Penn on the critical beating Bonnie and Clyde took before being recognized as an American classic. William Friedkin on why he rates his box office bomb Sorcerer above The Exorcist and The French Connection. Italian great Bernardo Bertolucci of Last Tango in Paris fame on how critics misunderstood his incest melodrama Luna. I'm Lloyd Sachs, reviving my old Sachs and the Cinema segment on Chicago Radio to present a series of rare, intimate, never-before-heard conversations with great filmmakers. In these chats, recorded on my cassette recorder back in the 80s, you'll also hear Halloween creator John Carpenter on what it was like to be called a pornographer of violence, Monty Python alumnus Terry Gilliam on going rogue to get his version of Brazil shown in America, and French auteur Bertrand Tavernier on the French art of stealing from American classics. Plus, you'll hear Bill Forsyth on putting Scottish cinema on the map, and in a rare one-on-one interview, British legend Michael Powell on dealing with a studio that just didn't get The Red Shoes, his magnificent study of artistic obsession. You won't want to miss any of these wide-ranging, completely unscripted interviews in which eight great directors share personal truths and the secrets of their success. We continue our series with Bernardo Bertolucci. Few directors have stirred the pot of controversy like this great Italian director, Some of his films, including his 1970 masterpiece, The Conformist, antagonized moviegoers with his leftist politics. His most famous work, Last Tango in Paris, dared to go where no other mainstream movies had gone in its graphic depiction of sex between strangers, an achievement tainted by star Maria Schneider's revelation many years later that she had been abused on the set. And then there's a Bertolucci film you may never have seen or even heard of, Luna, a 1979 Italian production. The film stars Jill Clayburgh coming off her Oscar-nominated performance in An Unmarried Woman as an American opera star in Italy who has sex with her drug-addicted teenage son. Written off by New York Times critic Vincent Canby as the work of a good poet on an absolutely terrible day, the film quickly disappeared from view, and even in this streaming era, in spite of more generous critical reassessments, it is next to impossible to find. In my conversation with Bertolucci, who was in Chicago on a rare publicity tour for him, He calmly dismisses the negative reviews, asserting that critics had misread the film, missing what he calls its many funny moments. I begin by asking him about another film of his that drew a mixed response, the epic 1900, and his fight to keep the studio from trimming what originally was a five-hour movie down to a more manageable three. When I deliver the movie, 
in Hollywood a month ago. Uh, the people of the studio saw the movie and uh, they wanted to see me for lunch. I said, oh my God, uh, what's going on? Maybe they want to cut the movie again. I can't stand it. I can't stand the fight again for another movie as it, I did for 1900. And uh, it was the opposite. They wanted to make the movie longer. So I had the one sequence. With the American version of 1900 as it came out, I mean, there was obviously... It was obviously a, comprom a compromise. Um, I mean, but I, the choice wa was uh, in between these four-hour, ten minutes that I edited and uh, I did, and uh, a three-hour version made by an unknown editor. So, of course, I I fight, and uh, I had... I mean, it was better to, to have a four-hour version made by me than nothing. Yeah, well, those are kind of... Those horror stories of what happened to Offals with uh, his last film, and uh, you just hear about these things and cringe. Uh, yeah. Also, I spent one year of my life fighting for this movie, and uh, I don't know if I'll do it again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, does that say something about... Obviously, it says something about the mentality of the... The people in the business here, but uh, and they obviously feel that Americans, uh, at least in enough numbers, could not sit through a four-hour movie. And uh, that's you know. not the problem. The real problem. I mean, if you follow the story that was going on, there were articles, interview in the magazines, newspaper. If you follow the story, uh, you you should remember that um, the beginning was the change of the head of the, stu the, the, the distributor, the company, the studio that right, yeah. supports. The movie began with one person at the studio, and then when the movie was finished, there was another president. The new president said, uh, since the, when he saw the movie the first time, I don't want this movie. I never release this movie. I don't think it was a question of uh, length. Mm -hmm. I think there was political reason. Language, Homer, the difficulties involved. It seems that a lot of very fine directors have had problems. Uh, Herzog most recently with Nosferatu, and um, Antonioni with Zabriskie Point. Uh, I guess the, you know, the list goes on. It's exactly what this is um, said on, the, on a, one of the two major magazines. Um, Frank Rich is a movie critic, Time Magazine Sorry, says. Yet he begins saying, and in general, when a European director makes a, an English-speaking movie, the result is a disaster. And he says, and he names uh, Bergman, Antonioni, Truffaut, Wartmuller, and he says this. This is maybe the first time that um, an, an, a European director. <laughs> can do that. Mm -hmm. That's, I think well, I, too, I was really... Already, uh, in that. Yeah, but I think uh, I think that uh, the secret is to trust the actor and to find the right act actor. I mean, with Last Tango, it was uh, Marlon Brando. This time it's Jill Kleiber. She's very intelligent. She's very clever. And uh, I mean, uh, we work together 
really on the also on the dialogues and uh, and even with the kid with Matthew Barry. I mean, I can't work um, if I don't have the space for an improvisation. This is what is very important to me. Yeah. Don't want to bring up a, a, a bad subject. I read uh, Canby's review in the Times the other day, and he seems to feel that Europeans are more uh, receptive to the kind of, I don't know, elevated. Uh, yeah, I, th I, th I think this is um, an excuse. I think uh, uh, Canby had a hard time with Luna, and. Uh, it's quite an indication that when the audience that is innocent in a way uh, can uh, receive the movie in a very easy way in, in, in Italy the movie opened four weeks ago and is the major success there when uh, Jill Clebo is not a very famous star in Italy they just know a married woman and yet it's not a great Mm -hmm. in success um, so I think the movie has a, a kind of impact uh, in the relationship with the audience uh, I think that uh, for some critics the movie it's quite difficult because I think the movie in, in if, 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 there is this, if it is easy for the audience it's quite sophisticated in a way uh, so maybe some critics have difficult time because the movie, the construction of the movie is something uh, I think quite new, at least for my work. Uh, I was, I mean, I, 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 I remember with pleasure the 60s and the, the 70s are quite boring if I think and uh, because the 70s was to establish the idea that defi definitely the 60s were just illusion and I think Luna for me is my first movie of the 80s what, what do I mean? I mean that uh, there is a, a kind of I'm exploring for example a new structure something that uh, uh, in France uh, a week ago, I was making an interview, and I called, I told uh, the journalist, since you have here the nouvelle cuisine, the new kitchen, the new cooking, let's think that there is a nouvelle dramaturgy, and a new dramaturgy. And, uh, and I mean, I think Luna, uh, in Luna, I found a space of freedom, um, going maybe against the classic construction of a movie. I'll give you some example. Um, sudden switch from a tension uh, of a drama to a sudden laugh, to a comedy, and then back to the drama. Or the perspective, the optique of the... Uh, of the movie, sometimes is through the eyes of the kid, sometimes through the eyes of the mother, but it's never indicated who is looking at that moment. And uh, all you learn at school and cinema school, like uh, 
the dramaturgy has to, be, has to be based in consistency, coherence, no contradiction. I really think that uh, uh, my camera uh, is dancing the inconsistency, mu the music of the inconsistency, or the dance of the incoherence. I was, I was really looking for, because I thought that life is very inconsistent. Life is very incoherent. If you think of one of your day, what happens in in one day? There is mm, there isn't this uh, kind of um, perfect arch. Do you think critics take critics? I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, Americans, some people who see this film that are going to take it very literally. Uh, look at this as a picture about relationships, very Freudian overtones to it. Um, what do you say to that? I, mean, I think I think that um, you're right in a way. I mean, the movie. The, another thing that makes the movie different is is that it's not psychological. This movie. Um, it goes from a melodrama, and uh, characters in melodrama are epics in a way or lyrics to the psychoanalysis. That means the subconscious. So the, uh, Katerina and Joe, the mother and the son, are dominated by their subconscious in a way. Um, I mean, uh, the movie is not psychological. It's something in between the melodrama and the subconscious. And yet, the, um, but that is what people are going to hook on to, uh, or at least a lot of people, uh, with the psychology of it already, they're talking about it, you know. I, I haven't seen many movies, I mean, on um, psychoanalysis. The best work on psychoanalysis was one of the best things I've never seen. I've ever seen is Marnie, Hitchcock Marnie, uh, where yeah. the end, uh, where that is really done like a didactic uh, explanation of... Um, uh, the, the, I mean, through the sense of guilt of money, um, an explanation of a clinic clinic case. You say that mm -hmm. in English, and uh, it was so simple, so moving at the same time. So I think that um, um, psychoanalysis is one vision of the world that it is. Uh, it has its importance, I mean, like... Uh, my other movies were... Some of my other movies, like 1900, of The Conformist, were more directly on mm, politics. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the theme, the subject was the politics of the class, class struggle. Um, here, I think that the social statement is much more integrated, much more uh, hidden into the story. But I think it is there. Um, also, I think that every movie is a political movie. Because it depends. When you... I mean, the system where you live gives a general vision of the world. If you accept or you... Or you of or you refuse this vision of the world, you make a political gesture. I mean, if you accept, 
or refuse the models of interpretation of reality that the power gives to you, you make a political gesture. But uh, there is another thing that I think is quite new in Luna, is that uh, finally I am no more ashamed of emotions. Um, I read an essay of Roland Barthes called Le Plaisir du Texte, The Pleasure of the Text. It uh, really was very clarifying to me. I mean, um, all my movies, in all my movies, I think emotions have great importance. Uh, but in general, the, the emotions were uh, hidden, in yeah. a way, mm -hmm. uh, behind the uh, existentialistic or moral or social or political uh, first appearance, uh, superficial appearance. Uh, I think what I want to see, what I want to have, to get from a movie, it's a, a, a strong emotion, uh, and uh, it happens less and less and less. Yeah, you know, it's, it's strange that the last several days I've been watching some Chaplin films, which are at the height of emotionalism, uh, and he was obviously slammed for being too emotional, and, then, and I sit and, you know, and watch Limelight and just stunned that anyone could not see what a great work this is. Yeah. Emotions or no emotions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I guess we're a little afraid of that. It seems. At least. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, uh, in the '70s, but uh, the '80s began already, I think, uh, for me. And um, uh, I, I think that it's very important the relationship between the movie and the audience. I think movie critics should see the movies with an audience. Because I think that the audience is the last author of the movie. Because what's going on between the audience and the movie, I'm talking in terms of uh, laughing and, or tears or tension or booing. Or, it's like it, it, it finishes, it ends the movie. And otherwise the movie is really a piece of film uh, in a... Yeah, metal sure. in a um, metal box. One of the other uh, quite uh, different thing with Luna is um, constantly um, the madness of the, of the character. That is our madness. Uh, the madness of everyone in life explodes, and there is so there is many funny moments in the movie. And I think that five critics in a little screening room. Um, don't I mean they find they they find difficult to laugh alone like that in this cold atmosphere when and maybe they also uh, think that uh, the the comedy this moment of comedy was involuntary when when uh, when uh, it was the opposite and the the audience knows very well the audience yeah. feels and reacts in a very simple but correct way. Well, I love that scene in the car where the guy has the picture of Castro. <laughs> Castro. Oh, yeah. It just yeah. comes out of left field. Yeah. Oh, I, th I thought that um, I was... I, I had the right to laugh and to make a kind of humor that is 
self humor on 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 a rich Italian communist <laughs> that is uh, used by Jill Kleber is exploited by Jill Kleber by the American to make uh, jealous her son I didn't I couldn't imagine to make the movie with an, an Italian mama mm -hmm. because uh, the Catholicism and because uh, I didn't want to be too much involved since the theme of the movie I mean the adventure of the relationship between a mother and a son it's very delicate it's very hard very difficult theme so I thought I want a foreign actress a f another culture not to get to mm -hmm. within not to the own side and uh, so I began with Liv Woolman she's supposed to make Luna then I postponed three times the movie and uh, so she was engaged and so I went to Paris looking for actresses and then I went to London and then I came in the United States and it was be just before the opening of uh, Mazursky a married woman and uh, and I I had uh, um, I found her very real I mean I found Jill Kleber I thought she could have both this quality a real person that you can meet in the street and and uh, at the same time I was curious if she was able to to be uh, to have a great allure of a great star of a great opera star I think she has both qualities I mean especially I mean that very specific allure of an opera of a diva of, yeah uh, I mean, the lip-syncing, aside from the lip-syncing, which was... Extraordinary, yeah. Uh, there's that larger-than-life or whatever feeling. Yeah, also, if you... Uh, her gesture... Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't help thinking what a different movie this would have been with Lee Bowman, and especially what a different movie Tango would have been. You were, well, Trentinia and Dominique Sander, yeah. when after, uh, at the end, it was uh, Marlon Brando and Maria Schneider. I mean, it happens often that uh, you 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 have to change because there is practical problem. You have to change the cast, and uh, it means you have to change the movie. But to me, to make a movie is not uh, to to go uh, right in, in one place that I know before. It's an adventure. It's a really trip. I don't know where I'm going when I'm shooting. You know, when Last Tango came out, the famous Kale review, blah, 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 uh, it was seen as a real... Did you, when you made that film, did you see it as this kind of breakthrough that people were talking about? Not at all. I remember the first screening, uh, when I just finished the mixing, first answer point, uh, there was my editor, Kim, uh, the producer, Grimaldi, and myself. And the movie finished, and we look at each other, and we thought, "Oh my God, it's very depressive. Uh, who who would like to see this movie?" We di we really didn't realize that the movie had uh, this impact, could had could have this impact and this strength. I mean, uh, there 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 are thing, things that you can't control, you can't program. Well, how did the success, the success of Tango, uh, 
A in establishing Bernardo Bertolucci more than I mean the Conformist was on everybody's favorite a list of movies for that year and was a wonderful movie. Tango had that edge of uh, controversy of uh, breaking barriers uh, that the others hadn't had, uh, at least here. Um, would you be in a different place now, artistically, if it hadn't been for tango? Yeah, I think that uh, casualty doesn't exist. I don't believe in, in destiny. I think that the, the modern word for destiny is subconscious. I think that everything that happened to us, in a way, we are responsible. And uh, so, uh, of course, I would be different if I wouldn't make time. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, yes, definitely. Of course, of course, you know. But if it had because been, the, uh, yes, because Tango was very successful, so afterward uh, it was much easier to me find money. But there is a great statement of a great Brazilian director, Glauber Rocha, that once told me, a film director is a man that finds the money to make a movie. That shows very well um, how the, the relationship in when you make a movie between poetry and money. It's, it's a special thing. It's not like writing... A, a novel or writing a, yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a special thing but we must face it I mean we must uh, be conscious of that um, uh, some some I made a lot of interviews in New York and in Chicago and some asked me don't you think uh, that uh, you your the beginning of your career was uh, never been commercial I mean as I, a very idealistic and silly um, statement, but I think that uh, in the 60s, when I was making a movie, I was thinking, I'm telling a story, and at the same time, i questioning myself about what cinema is. Today, I'm telling a story, and I'm questioning myself about communication. And I was very afraid of the audience in the 60s, really afraid. And so... We were, I must say, all young directors in the 60s, all over the world, making a new kind of cinema. And uh, we found a lot of alibi to, to justify this fear of the audience. And I think I changed my mind about it. I mean, I, I'm, I was able to accept the idea of facing the audience, of having a dialogue with the audience, and stopping this kind of monologue. Yeah. Do you think it's important that people care about or, or like the characters in a film like Luna? I mean, if, if you walk away from the picture not caring terribly that much about Jill Clayburgh, I mean, does that... Does that... Uh, I think, I think uh, that... Uh, before I told you, I, want, I, I, want, I would like to give a pleasure, a kind of pleasure. It doesn't mean to show pleasant character or uh, pleasant situations. Uh, it means give a strong emotion to me.
You've been listening to a conversation with the great Italian director Bernardo Bertolucci. Thanks to Rick Riggs and Handwritten Recording Studio for the production work and Jeff Bradfield for the music. In our next podcast, I'll chat with the great French director Bertrand Tavernier, whose films include Round Midnight. Join me. I'm Lloyd Sachs.